So you are doing some research here. Yeah, so uh, Cam the intern. Got oh, his own, own podcast. Got his own podcast. But it looks good. Looks good. Logos, good Maybe graphics. Maybe it sounds good, too. Oh, Cam. Hardworking kid. Cam? Yeah. Every day that kid's stock goes up a little Doesn't bit. A little bit. Ryan Hurtry on the way. It's good off the backboard and in. I'm sorry. What a take by Tucker. Jones, another steal. Spin off Caldwell and the layup's good. I would like to see you hold a mirror up to yourself and interview yourself. As good as this was, it could only be better if it was all you. Tuning in, I was a fan. I was like, man, let's do it. Cam, thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Joined today for the first time, Cam Isomone. Gallagher's going to have to shoot it from beyond the arc. And it's good. Jacobs for three. He got it! My goodness, what a shooting performance by I think Cam's Corner is great. Tune in to Cam's Corner. This kid's going to make it. He's going to make it here. We are back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Cam's Corner. Today, we've got the Boston Celtics radio play-by-play broadcaster and TV sports broadcaster as well. And Sean Grandy, Sean, thank you for joining me, man, uh, and taking the time. I appreciate it. How you been, man? I'm hanging in. I'm just trying to catch up. I mean, you go to June 16th or June 18th or whatever we went, Summer gets very, very, very short. Right. Yeah. So, like, I guess to lead off kind of what's uh, during the off seasons and things like that, what do you see uh, your time mostly invested in? My son. Yeah. <laughs> Catching up in uh, everything I missed. I think, I think the one thing people don't realize about my job, any job connected to a team and a season is it's pretty much, I don't want to say it's 24-7. That's misleading. But it's really a constant job it's always going on every minute of every day if you're not doing something you're on call because something could happen that you didn't expect it's one i've described it for this number of years i've been doing it as being one long day that starts at the end of september and it ends you know right after the last game whenever that happens to be so um you real life goes by and real life piles up on the side you get to what you can get to and then when the season ends you get to it, and when your team goes to the team you're doing games for, goes to game six of the NBA Finals, it's a pretty big pile. Yeah, most definitely, and I'm going to get into a ton of Celtics questions in a little bit. I usually start off um, asking all my guests. Um, originally, like the most common question I always ask when I start off is uh, where they're originally from and where the passion came from from what they love to do. So for you, where are you originally from, and where does that passion uh, for sports and sports broadcasting uh, stem from? Like, it's funny how it's worked out. Most of the voices of the Celtics, with the exception of Mike Gorman on TV and Glenn Ordway on the radio, all of the others, and obviously Red Auerbach too, all from New York. And I grew up in Greenwich Village in New York, and I think the moment that I always decide is the, the divider was when I realized my great plans to play second base for the Mets were not going to happen. And so how was I going to have a major league career and luckily I had, I had one skill that was major league worthy. And that was, that was sort of the path. I, I grew up, I was raised by two parents and a lot of sportscasters and a lot of play-by-play guys who created memories for me when I was a kid. And I thought that's a, that's a pretty cool job. And it became apparent to me the older I got that this is my thing. This is what I do. So baseball was your first true passion. It really, it was. Uh, and it's funny because I got a 10 year old who loves baseball, which is miraculous in so many ways, given how the game starting late and the slow pace of it has tried almost seemingly tried to drive kids away. And yet, you know, my kid loves it. It's a, you know, sort of a renaissance for me. I think that was always the direction baseball and hockey were really my two sport. Football was really my third sport. Like the only thing about me, I knew, I didn't know what my number one sport was, but I knew basketball was a distant number four. 
And now it's going to be the first line of my obituary one day because that's the way things work out. But like, still to this day, the greatest summer job in a lot of ways, the greatest job I ever had was the year I did the Red Sox uh, in the summer. We did 20, 25 games and it was, you know, that was a, a real dream come true. So I don't think you ever really let that go, especially when you start to see it through your son's eyes. Yeah, definitely. And and again, having a kid is is like kind of passing it down in a way, like being an athlete firsthand is like, for me, that's where this all stemmed from as well. But um, after you realized like high school, uh, you know, the athletic career wasn't going to continue, where did you find yourself after that? And how did you um, decide that you wanted to go to Boston University uh, for your college? Well, I think there were two schools that were that were prominently featured as far as you know, media and sportscasting and broadcast journalism. Boston University is one and Syracuse is the other. And I remember vividly my visit to Syracuse and thinking, my God, it was a beautiful spring day. It was like 70 degrees. It was a dome stadium on campus. I'm like, this, you know, you're getting your first 17 years old and I'm you know, getting your first look at college girls on a 70 degree day. Life is, this is perfect. And the tour guide made the ultimate tour guide mistake in the history of tour guides. One of the parents said, do the students always gather like this, uh, you know, on the quad in the middle? Is it always this, you know, playing hacky sack or whatever? And the tour guide said, well, this is the first day since October. It hasn't snowed. So that was, and that was pretty much the end of uh, Syracuse. And I, the real reason yeah. I do, and I have so many of my friends, as you can imagine, and colleagues and some legendary names that all went to Syracuse. The reason I, the primary reason I didn't, I wanted to be in a city. That was number one. But also everyone who wants to do what I do goes to Syracuse. So are you going to get to do a couple of lacrosse games, maybe your senior year, or do you go somewhere else? Uh, and I was lucky enough, almost as a freshman, you know, into sophomore year, walking in right away, doing a lot of games. So that worked out too. Right. So, you know, once you decided that you wanted to go to Boston University, like what were the types of like programs and things like that, that you got yourself involved in that helped your name, like, uh, I guess, kind of grow on campus, to, you know, as like one of the broadcasters there or something like that. Well, I, I think, you know, the funny thing is that I always tell people this now, you tend to say, Hey, I want to be a sportscaster. So let me major in broadcast journalism. That makes the most sense. In retrospect, I always wished I had majored in English or political science or something else because so much of the work I did to carve my own path was stuff you did outside of school, you know, get the best education you yeah. can. And I spent my time at the campus radio station and at what, you know, what is now Aganis Arena, but Walter Brown Arena back in the day, going to hockey practice every day and calling the hockey games and doing interviews and, you know, calling every game I could. And there was no Boston University play baseball back in the day and nobody was there. So I would take out a tape recorder, look it up, kids, Google it for what it used to be. And I would go out and call baseball games just 30 years ago out in the middle of, you know, just in the middle of Boston because there were games to do. So that was where Bo that was what Boston University was for me. It was the educational part. It was living in a city. But from a career standpoint, it was just doing every game I possibly could because, as I often tell people, having done three NBA finals now, including a game seven of the NBA finals, the game is the game, whether it's 10-year-olds playing it or – it's the NBA finals. The game is the game. If you can call one at a high level, you can call the other at a high level. Right. So like it was more of so you kind of just doing it on your own more so than what the programs and things had to offer. Well, I think the programs always help and you right. have direction and you have reps and you have all that stuff. But you, there is no substitute for being able to, you know, do things, doing things on your own to supplement it is to me the like anyone you would look at that has been successful or knock on wood or whatever mm -hmm. 
has had to do at some point is doing some things on their own is taking initiative and is getting reps and going out and working. And I spent my twenties after school, I spent my twenties taking eight hour bus rides to do basketball games for 50 bucks a game while my friends were doing what I guess you're supposed to do on the weekends when you're 23 or 24 year old, which I guess have fun. Uh, but that was, you know, you, you make your choices. If you really, if you really want it, that's what paying the price is. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't regret any of the choices, but you've got to be willing to, you can take all the help you can get and it's going to be there if you choose the right people, but eventually you're going to have to do stuff on your own. Exactly. And that's what I tell all the guests out that I have on this podcast. It's like, I started this podcast mainly one to get my name out there too, as a, as a broadcaster and all that, but mainly just to interact with people like yourself and, and different uh, college athletes and, you know, hear from their experiences and, just professional people in the industry, just to see, um, not that if I'm doing it right, but if I'm, you know, I'm just learning from the best, you know what I mean? So I, I know, um, you know, where my tracks are headed and things like that. And think about this, because what you did here and having a podcast, I would have given anything to have a podcast. We didn't have the internet when I was in college. So there, yeah. These things that don't exist, you have to always, and again, I say this a lot. And one of the reasons I'm sitting here with you now, because if you don't embrace what it's become, if you don't embrace new media and the changes and say, well, this is the way it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago when I was starting, this is the way you did it. And you have to do it that way or it's evolve or die. And it's constantly changing. And you have to be conversant when you're doing play by play, play by play is universal, but it's not what it was in the fifties and sixties. It changes because you're exposed to so many more podcasts and talking heads. You have to be able to be what I call bilingual, multilingual. You have to be able to speak the language that everybody else is speaking the rest of the day when you're doing the game at night. Even if the primary responsibility is the game, you know that people have been hearing. Uh, if you're doing the Nets game, a Nets game, every, for 21 hours, everyone's been talking about Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving a certain way on all the shows and all the podcasts and whatever. If you can't just bury your head in the sand and call the game as if those ancillary issues don't exist. And new media is a part of that and evolving is part of it. And if you can't speak the way a talk show sounds, if you can't or be a guest on a talk show, if you can't be a guest on a podcast, it's harder to do play by play now because yeah, it's a very specialized specific skill, but you have to be able to do it. Exactly. And that's again, the reason why you won, you did a lot of things because just to get the reps, it's all about the reps and all about, um, you know, what you get involved in. And that's what I've learned throughout the whole thing. Like the whole journey that I've been on is just getting as many reps as you can and involving yourself in as many things as possible just to get, you know, the best opportunities available. So like going back to what you said about like the eight hour bus rides, like one of your first kind of like job opportunities, Um, like what was your first like job, the real job opportunity right after college? Well, I went to work at uh, my first full-time job in the business. I had interned at the brand new sports station in Boston 30 years ago, which was WEI. Mm -hmm. And eventually when a full-time producing job opened there, I wasn't even done with school yet, but I, you know, I took that job. And so there was your, that job paid the bills, paid the rent, and you were a producer and you were producing talk shows and you were learning all the different things, even if you wanted to be on air. And then I was doing games on the weekend, taking those eight-hour bus rides and doing college hockey games and college basketball games that were local and just getting as much experience as you could. I was lucky enough to basically have a full-time job in the field pretty much while I was still in school. And for the most part, I've had that ever since. So it was a combination, pay the bills and learning experience to be a behind the scenes person for a few years while you were, I, I, I say, I don't like the term padding the resume because what you're doing is you're padding your experience. 
and you're getting the reps. And if that throws an extra 50 bucks your way, great. Uh, and, you know, because that's what being able to do a variety of different things that we've already covered is critical to opportunities that may or may not arise. Because if you say, I'm a baseball announcer, I'm going to be a baseball announcer and nothing else. I don't care about talk shows. I don't care about podcasts. I don't care about being able to call the other sports. Well, maybe you're going to get super lucky and a baseball job and you'll be able to get nothing but baseball jobs and that'll work out. But if the Calgary Flames job opens, you're not getting it because you're not prepared to do that job. And I, I when I speak to kids at camps, and there are sports casting camps now. This is amazing to me. Like oh. how awesome that would have been. Like all these things that I never got to do, uh, including having a studio to do a podcast. How awesome would that be? So I ask kids, I'll, I'll send them, a, if I'm in Boston, I'll say, how many of you here want to be the voice of the Red Sox? And almost all the hands go up, right? I'm like, okay, well, let's do the math on this. And how many opportunities are there for you to be the voice of the Red Sox? Uh, you know, I was going to be the voice of the Rangers and the voice of the Mets. And, you know, as, as long as there's a world where Kenny Albert was in it, uh, you know, Kenny's my boy, but I, I knew that wasn't going to happen, right, for me. So you have to be able to do a variety of different things. And when the chance comes up, as I said, people sometimes, they turn their head now. When I say basketball was my number four sport. Wasn't even close. It was a distant number four. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. But that's where the first major opportunity was because my 20s was I did some basketball. I did college basketball. But I was doing football, and everyone just assumed that hockey – Hockey was where I was the most advanced. So everyone just assumed I was going NHL and I was going to go hockey. And that wasn't the call that came in 1998. And that changed the direction and my life and all the above. And I feel like the perfect question to follow up on that is like throughout the early stages, when did you find your voice? And um, like that, when did you find out like what worked best for you as a broadcaster, as far as like preparing and like how to approach the games and things like that? Well, you don't think of it that way because Maybe when it's over, you mm. think of it that way. You never think of yourself, first of all, you never think of yourself as being as old as you really are. I don't think any of us ever do that. But if you're in a state of, if I sit here and go, I am, I'm the best in the world. There's nothing I have to learn. I can't get any better. There's no new sports or anything I can do. It's over. It's over once you're done with that process of trying to figure out how I can get better. What can I do here? What can I do there? Uh, what if this opportunity came up? What if that opportunity came up? And so, once you get to that point and you're done evolving, you're done period being, being effective at what you do. So I think there are moments that you have, I mean, I, I certainly remember going into the NBA knowing full well that maybe nobody else realizes this is my number four sport, but I do. And I've got to get, you know, I have to get up to speed. And that was a, you know, a crash course. It really came in handy. How many years later was that? You know, in 2015, when out of the absolute blue, somebody called me and said, do you think you could do MMA? And first of all, kids, if you're listening, the answer to the question of can you do X, Y, Z? Cam, what's the answer to that question? Somebody yes. That's correct. Anything. Yes. That is correct. That's the call I got. I tell this story. It was 1998. I know because I was doing the game the night Paul Pierce was drafted by the Celtics. It was the World Cup soccer. And I was, I've been doing college hockey on the local, what is now NBC Boston. And they called me and they said, uh, can you do soccer? And my answer was what? Yes. <laughs> I had never been to a soccer game in my life, but the answer was yes. Cause I was 26 years old and uh, the answer was yes. And so there I was a couple of weeks later. And so you study. And I did an MLS game, which of course was five to three, which was 
like insane that there was soccer that had eight goals in it. Uh, but years later, when they called me and said, have you ever, could you do MMA? I had never considered it. And it wasn't that when I say I hadn't, I wasn't a fan. It wasn't, well, I'm not a fan of that. It was like, how much time do you have to be a fan of anything? If you're full-time in the NBA, you're trying to, you watch as much as you can, but I was not a hardcore MMA fan because who had the time? And so I had to starting something from scratch. And this is an example because I was 40, was it 42, 43 years old? It doesn't matter. But all of a sudden here I was jumping off a cliff, trying something brand new, risking, you know, pretty decent risk of failure. Going into a hostile environment would be overstating it, but there were fans who were kind of, you know, oh yeah, bring us the basketball guy. Bring us the baseball guy. Bring us the hockey guy. We'll see if he can do this. And they were kind of lying in wait for me. And having success there, winning them over and calling fights and whatever, it was just, you know, it was an extraordinary challenge. But the experience of doing it was, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So that's, you know, again, the, the lessons out of that last five minutes is the answer is always yes. And keep growing and take chances. Yeah. And, and a lot of people like that have like done, you know, as you are, you're a sports broadcaster, people like in the same like kind of like profession, they've told me the same exact thing. Just say yes to any opportunity that comes your way. And this last year alone, so many opportunities have came my way just by saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll be this guy. I'll be this guy. Because my freshman year, when the pandemic happened for um, my first year of college, uh, it was all online. I didn't have any accessibility to games, accessibility to, you know, writing articles, anything like that. So, so my sophomore year was basically kind of like a freshman year. And like my first year to kind of start and, you know, start my, my journey, I guess you could say. And um, that summer is when I started this. And then my, obviously my favorite sport, my favorite sport to like broadcast and things like that is, is basketball. So when I first got on like the broadcasting team and they put me on a basketball game, I was like, this is like a dream come true. I'm going to be, you know, the basketball guy. But like you said, like be open to all these opportunities. So then when they found out that I was okay at basketball, they were like, all right, we, the next season was women's lacrosse. Like, are you going to do women's lacrosse? And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know anything about women's lacrosse, but. I took a shot at it and they now, gave me, they gave me baseball after that. And they gave me softball. And I did almost, I covered almost every sport at my college and, you know, just going off of what you said, it's just, you got to say yes to all these opportunities because you never know what's going to open like down the line. And it's such a great time now because there's so many things or because of the internet, so many schools want their games in somehow some shape or form online. And that, that didn't exist. You know, when yeah. I was in school 30 years ago, there were a lot, we did a lot of games on radio because I went and did them. You know, I carried a tape recorder out there and I put sports on and I put soccer on the radio and I did all this other stuff, you know, that I had other people doing it. But I did these things because they were opportunities. And now it's just such a great time to have, you know, every college has its field hockey and its soccer and its wrestling and it's whatever. And they're all, you know, broadcast online because of the Internet. And there's never been more opportunities to practice, you know, your craft than there is now. Yeah, most definitely. And before, you know, we wrap it up with some Celtics questions. I want to ask, um, you know, again, I asked that question again about like uh, finding your voice and things like that. And uh, I know you gave, you gave a very great answer, but I asked that because um, I know you're mainly focusing on radio. You've done, been the Celtics voice for 20 years now, and um, you've done telecasts as well, like on TV where people can like see it. So like being, how do you balance like that transition from radio to TV? Because obviously radio, you have to put a lot more detail into that, which is opposed to people like seeing it on TV. You don't have to put as much you know, detail. So like, where do you find that balance? depends on the sport because the, the transition between TV and radio is different based on the different sports. Basketball is baseball is probably the biggest. And I would say basketball is a sizable one too. hockey is probably the closest 
to a TV and a radio because you still have to identify players and you're still just cutting out things, you know, left side and right side. And, uh, you know, telecast sliding back and forth during this past season where you're doing TV one night, radio the next night. Uh, you just, you know, you're, you have to be aware of it. You're captioned. In TV, you're passive. In uh, radio, you're essentially, you're the producer, you're the director, you're doing everything. You got to identify everything. And on television, you're captioning the picture. The picture that everyone's looking at at home, what's going on in that? Caption, describe it. You don't have to, you know, don't have to over talk. You can pick your spots. You can have a, again, going back to this podcast thing, particularly the games that Brian Scalabrini and I did this year. I think we did six, six or seven, I don't know how many games we did this year, but every single one of them, the Celtics were up by 25 in the second half of every single game. So that podcast stuff and that talk radio stuff and the talk TV stuff comes in handy because you can, quickly shift into a conversation when the game is no longer the thing to keep people, you know, to keep people entertained. But there's, I mean, the difference in TV and radio is a, that, that's like a five hour masterclass in a lot of ways, but that's the biggest thing to remember is that, uh, you know, just caption the pictures and on radio, you are the picture. Right. So that, uh, that mindset, like you said, just saying yes to all that, you know, now that you have like the flexibility that you do have, um, are you more suited? Are you more like, um, I guess, like comfortable just like staying sticking with radio? But if someone asks you to do a tel- um, like a telecast, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to turn it down, obviously. Yeah, that's the big question I'm getting these days, right? I, my answer is the same when it comes to the Celtic situation. It's the same that it's been for the last 20-something years, which is I serve at the pleasure of the president of the Boston Celtics. And wherever he wants me, they want me on TV, I'll do TV. If they want me on radio, I'll do radio. Hopefully, we can convince Mike to hang around a couple more years and it's easier to split them. Uh, there's kind of the the dirty little secret of NBA television, which is where I broke in with Timberwolves is doing TV, is that you lose all the good games on on the television side. Like you lose the top 12 games in the regular season, you don't get to do. And you basically get one or two first round playoff games and then you're out. So when I think of my 20 something years with the Celtics and the re- the visceral moments, the moments that live forever, they were games that if you were, if I had been doing TV here, I, I would have been sitting and watching instead of doing them. So uh, we'll see how all that plays out. I like doing, uh, I'll tell you this, radio is the true art of play-by-play. I enjoy doing it. I also very much enjoy working with a team of people, which is what you get on television, which is your analyst and your sideline reporter and a producer and a director. And there is nothing better than traveling with a group of people to an event as a team and televising that event together. So, I mean, it's a it's a non-answer, but it's a greedy answer, but it's true, which is I really enjoy doing both and whatever, however it plays out, it plays out. Yeah, definitely. And the segue off of that, you know, talk about those memorable moments, you know what I mean? Calling Celtics games, you know, I'm sure there's been plenty of memorable moments ranging from like NBA finals, like you said, buzzer beaters and all that. Um, but before describing like what those moments are like, truly like, what was your most memorable one so far with the Celtics over your uh, 20 years? I, I tend to, when people ask me about, like, when you, you asked earlier about finding your voice and sort of that next level, like this, this game, this moment has happened. And you're like, okay, I've, you know, I've kind of gone to the next place. And I usually talk about the seventh game in 2008 between Paul, the Paul Pierce, LeBron game seven between the Celtics and the Cavs, where you're just so engaged in that season, a season, which I really thought was going to end with the championship from pretty early on. And, you know, by the time you get to the end of a playoff series and you know the moments, I think the older you get, especially this past year, I remember watching, I would watch The Last Dance quite a bit. I, I would pop that in and watch it 
as the playoff run is going on, as a constant reminder. I think the older you get, you tend to do this. The more experienced you get, you tend to do this. And the better you get, you tend to do this, which is to become a little more wide angle about the history that is unfolding, you know, in front of you that, you know, yeah, you want to call the game and you want to be zoomed in and on it. But really, these are the things I'm going to be doing podcasts about the Celtics playoff run and Tatum's game six in Milwaukee and the seventh game in Miami and the playoff series and Draymond and the NBA finals. We'll be talking about that for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, same way we're talking about 2010 and 2008 now. So you're aware of that, you know, as it's going on. And listen, there have been a million great, Max and I have done 2000 games together. So there's a lot of great memories and a lot of great games and special moments, but that to me, the true romance of, my job of my vocation it's great to be a national announcer and i love it when i get to do it but having being with a team from the first day of training camp to the final game of the season that to me is the romance of play-by-play is documenting a team season and then you do that long enough and pretty soon you become the longtime voice of the celtics and you've done two thousand games with the same franchise definitely and i'm sure you know it flies by so like uh I guess to kind of backtrack a little bit, I don't think I asked you yet. Um, how did that opportunity come with the Celtics? When did it first, like, when did you first officially sign with them and when did all that uh, go down? Well, I've been in Minnesota um, doing TV in Minnesota. And when they called me, hey, you want to come to Boston and do radio? I was like, uh, you know, I'm doing TV here, right? So I'm good. And I turned the job down a couple of times. My wife, my first wife at the time was from Boston. She wanted to go back. But what changed my mind was a phone call I got that summer from a Cedric Maxwell. And he called me up and said, listen, I really think this could be something and this could be a long run and we could be good together. And we had, we had worked together a couple, you know, over the, on the talk shows and whatever. And that was really what started to change my mind. And I guess he turned out to be right because it's 20, 21 years later now. And it's the longest relationship either one of us has ever had. Yeah, definitely. And it's been, you know, a crazy journey for you, of course. And uh, me being a, a Knicks fan, uh, it's been tough, of course, not having a lot of success, but um, all my friends are, are Celtics fans. You know, I'm from Rhode Island, um, so I was kind of rooting for them, you know, throughout you know their playoff run. And uh, I'm very close with Joe Missoula, who was uh, – his dad was actually my coach um, in high school um, at Johnston. And, you know, Joe's, Joe was my, actually my first guest on my podcast. You know, he's been a huge help in a lot of the things I've been accomplishing. So, um, you know, I'm kind, kind of – I'm easing up a little bit to the Celtics, you know, rooting for them and things like that. So, um, you know, all the best to them and all the best to you and kind of cap it off. Um, I do want to ask you, um, throughout again, throughout this whole journey that you've had, your whole career, what's uh, maybe like a hardship that you faced that kind of maybe set you back in a way or something that you can remember that uh, really pushed you uh, to keep doing what you love? Well, I think this is all about hardship. Any, any jobs like this, I think what I often, and in some ways I'm the poster child for it, and I tell kids all the time, remember, we grow up watching sports. So we're used to scenarios where the best players play. Sportscasting, broadcasting is not a meritocracy. Sometimes the best people are in the best spots. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. So you have to, it has to matter to you how good you want to be at, how much pride you take in your craft. And the rest of the stuff is the rest of the stuff. And obviously I've never been terribly good at self-promotion or getting jobs or anything like that. But I think you have to find a, find peace with, uh, how come that guy's doing that job and I'm doing this job? Because you just, it's a very 20 something thing 
to do because I did it myself. I was in my 20s. I get it completely. But this has to be a labor. Like anything that anyone is uber successful at, it has to be a labor of love. Has to be. Yeah, definitely, Sean. And again, I appreciate the time taking to join my podcast. I always ask everyone uh, before I end off, um, you know, what would you think of Camp's Corner? And again, I just want to give a shout out to 98.5 Tom Morgan. I wouldn't wouldn't be possible if I didn't get that contact. But again, uh, what did you think of Camp's Corner? And uh, who would you like to see maybe as like a future guest down the line? I'd love to always ask people that. Well, I mean, obviously you got to get Max, right? I mean, that's that's like the obvious. Yeah. It's the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. I, I said what my, my real reaction is what I said earlier, which is that, you know, the older I get, the more jealous I am of, you know, the fun way of all the cool stuff that you get to do in your 20s now that we didn't get to do. And that's, that's the way, by the way, that's going to happen to you in 30 years. You're going to be like, oh, we, we can do a three-dimensional podcast where you can be sitting, I don't know what's coming in 30 years, right. but you get the point. You'll be jealous of it, that those opportunities exist for whoever wants to do what you want to do 30 years from now. It's, it's the way of it. But uh, that to me is, you know, the reason I do stuff like this is because you, you have to embrace it. You have to, it's easy to look forward, but at some point you got to make peace. Again, if you're someone like me of what's the next generation doing? What, you know, what do they need to become successful? What do they, and that's why there are opportunities like this, which didn't exist, just they didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. And you're doing the right thing by taking advantage of it. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you very much. But again, yeah, any closing remarks before we uh, sign off over here? <sighs> closing remarks. Uh, make sure you stay, when, if your team is going to go to the NBA finals, make sure you have paid your taxes and gotten all your bills done and met all your deadlines and all the stuff because the pile of mail is insane if you go to game six and, and let it slide during the season. That's my I'm sure opinion. it's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it again, Sean. Thank you. I'll be in touch. You got it. Thank you.